Hey everybody, Chris Avery with you on our 100th episode of Chargers Weekly. We have a star-studded lineup from the NFL Scouting Combine in Indianapolis. Greg Rosenthal of NFL.com, Jim Trotter, NFL Network, one of the greatest safeties of all time, Steve Atwater, the talented Mr. Roto, ESPN's Matthew Berry, and we'll kick things off with the best information man in football, ESPN's Adam Schefter. Well, I couldn't think of a better guest to kick off our 100th episode of Chargers Weekly. Whoa, 100th episode. 100 episodes. Was I on the first one? You were on one of the first ones, though. One of the first. You actually, you know, you kicked off the 2017 season because we played the Broncos, and we, we previewed Broncos, Chargers, Monday Night Football. Rex was in the booth. Um, but you join me now. How you doing? Nice to see you, Chris. First question I have for you is, where's Dylan? This is like her element, I feel like, right? Yeah, she'll be disappointed that she is not getting to hear us talk about her. Uh, she's in school right now. She's in fourth grade. <laughs> so she's got class today. I saw I saw her at All-Star, and she was talking to Luca and uh, yeah. Donovan Mitchell, Marvin Bagley, all these stars. you got to be so proud. That's probably the best part of this whole job. There's nothing that I enjoy doing more than getting to travel with her, watching her interview. And, and, it's, and honestly, it's not something that I've hoisted on her it's like oh she's a natural though something that she's wanted to do and and i try to be supportive of her doing that and once she's expressed that interest i have gotten involved like, hey you know, let me know if there's anything else and then espn's come hey we want her to- great let me ask her and she's great. like yeah you know so <laughs> so it's worked out pretty well thank you for asking and thank you for paying attention that's great well this is like the nfl spring break right you have the, yeah. the future of the nfl here we're a couple of weeks from free agency, yep. coaches, executives, agents. For our listeners, what is this experience like for you personally? Well, first of all, I think it's my 25th combine. Is it really? And when I was coming to the combine at the beginning, and I'm not making this up, there were seven reporters. You're total, one of seven. One of seven. And the seven reporters would stand in the lobby of the holiday and all day and night, like literally from the morning to the night, wait for players to pass through, get interviews with the players, you wouldn't get to talk to any people. And now you come to the combine, and there's probably 1,700. Yeah. There wasn't a fan bench press. There, 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 was, there was none of this. There was no radio row. No. There were seven reporters. It's unbelievable. It changes. changes a little Quite bit. A bit. Let's talk some Chargers. They, they ended the season 12-4, and four, won a playoff game. Mm-hmm. Your, your overall impressions of what Coach Lynn has done in, in two seasons? Well, he's done a great job. He's a great head coach, and I think he's, he's a leader of men which is what people are looking for. And they've got a good team, and they're close to getting to where they want to get to. Yeah. And you know now the challenging part is how do you take that next step and how do you get past New England and Kansas how do you City, rise yeah. to the top of the AFC? Kansas. So um, that I'll leave to Tom Telesco and Anthony Lynn to figure out. But right. I know that they've been headed in the right direction. They've done a great job. Uh, they're one of the better teams in the AFC. And like I said, this is where it gets interesting for them. I'm not sure if everybody knows this, but you covered Coach Lynn as a player with the well, Broncos. Uh, you, know, you know what's interesting? Again, it, and I guess, you know, in the last hour I've been reminded of so many little things. I, I did a sit-down with Cliff Kingsbury for my podcast. Yeah. Cliff Kingsbury was a backup quarterback in training camp with the Denver Broncos. I covered him when he was in Greeley, Colorado back in the 1990s as a player. Really? Correct. And now he's a head coach there as an Cardinals. You bring up Anthony Lynn. He was a running back at the Denver Broncos back in the day. And when I was at NFL Network, um, we did the very first story on an accident that he had been involved in Yep. that almost took his life. It ran on NFL Network. I'd actually like to see that if I could. 
And that became, as he told it to me, the basis of the commercial that he did on Super Bowl Sunday, which That's was right. an incredible commercial. It was an incredible commercial. They did an amazing job of Verizon did. And it was Anthony being put in front of first responders that he didn't know were the first responders who saved his them. life. Yeah, he was giving a talk to them. And then it got put back on him that oh, these were the people who saved his life. And you could see the emotion. how emotional mm. he got. It was, I honestly thought it was the second best commercial of Super Bowl Sunday. And you can make the argument it was the first. The first was that NFL 100 year of all the people. Oh, it was fantastic. Which, was, which was incredible. But the Anthony Lynn commercial with, was not far behind. When you covered him, did you have an inkling that this was somebody who could be a, a really good head coach in this league? Because, Adam, he has, a, he has an aura about him. The, the players just, they, they really connect with him. He's yeah. building a culture in L.A. Well, I would say that I, I always knew that he had a way about him that was different. And you could always see he had a certain charisma and, mem- and magnetism. Yeah. That, That's a perfect way to put it. That drew people. And so um, he's always been that kind of guy. Yeah. Like, just, you know what? He's always been a quality person. High character. High character. Yeah. Quality. You said high character is better than quality. Yeah. It's the same thing. We're it talking is. about one of the same. And it he's is. that kind of guy. Yeah. And he's entering year three. It's hard to believe this is his third combine with the Chargers. And, you know, you look at the, the draft. Tom, Tom Telesco, I was just talking to somebody about this. Yep. Um, 14 draft picks over the last two years. They're all still on the roster. 13 have played in a game. 11 have started a game. And that doesn't include guys like Austin Eckler, Michael Badgley, who really helped solidify that kicking position for the team, Mike Davis, who started a lot of games. Um, they've done a, a great job. And, and this is kind of where it starts. You know, it, it starts on film, but this is where, you know, you get to evaluate some yeah. of these guys. Well, this is the player procurement period. This is the start of the player procurement period. And, you know, you take a look at these guys here. You may want a guy in the combine, you don't get him, but you know what? You may get a chance to get him as a free agent in 2023. Yeah. So you just don't know. You're here to get yourself as familiar as you can with all these players and then let the offseason begin. Yeah. Well, you broke the news about Joe Flacco. The AFC West, there was a lot of changes last year. It's trending that way again this year. There's a new coach, new QB in Denver, a new defensive coordinator in Kansas City. Yeah. Raiders, three first-round draft picks. every year, I mean, it's just how it is. It's just the league now. Yeah, I I've covered I covered the AFC West from 1990 um, to 2004 before I moved to NFL Network, and every year it was it was it was John Elway, and it was great quarterbacks, and it was just a great division. Junior Seau, um, so to me, just a modern day version of yeah. what you're talking about. It's always existed. It always will exist. Yeah, you know, four competitive teams. You know. Competitive people, everybody wants to win. Yeah. So they're all going up against each other, and that's just how it kind of no, goes. Nothing carries over either, right? You know, you, no. you could be 12 and 4 one year, you could be 7 well, and 9 the next, the next, you could be 13 yeah. and 3. It, do, it doesn't matter. So as we sit here entering March, how do you forecast this division, knowing that we got free agency? Well, I'll to go, say this to you. I'll say to this to you. Chargers are really good. And the Broncos, I think, have begun to make some moves that are going to help them. And the Raiders, as you mentioned, have all those picks yeah. to begin to lay a young foundation. But if you got Patrick Mahomes in the division, that's a problem for He's everybody. He's a good player. Else. He's a good and player. <laughs> I actually was thinking, like, John Gruden signed a 10 year contract. At the end of John Gruden's 10 year contract, Patrick Mahomes would be 32. Like, that's. Signing another contract. That, that, Maybe that, he signed a 10 year contract at that point. That's, 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 <laughs> It's a tough way to make a living. It is. Because he's a really good quarterback. And he's going to be really good for a long period of time. 
I'll get you out of here on this. I want to brag on you a little bit. Uh, the Man I Never Met, I know it came out in September, but people are obviously busy, too, if people listen to this podcast during the season. Off-season reading list, I highly recommend it. What was it like working on that project? Well, it was a book I wrote that came out in September. Yeah. And uh, there really and you is... you narrated it, too. On, on yeah, there's an audio book, yeah. The Man I Never... And I, I read the whole book, and that was, that was quite a process, too, because I was in a sound studio for two straight days, reading the book out loud onto tape. So it's I a talked book to Marcellus Wiley about that because he, he had a book come taxing. out and he did it and he said it was the hardest, one of the hardest things he's done. You know, I once did voiceovers for Madden video game for about four or five straight years and I would go to Orlando and they'd have you read like pages of notes and so they could interject into the video game and I'd walk out of that studio after two days and my head would be spinning. Like, it was... <laughs> it's hard work. It was draining. Yeah. And it was the same thing for reading the book. Like, you, you know, your voice is strained, you're tired, you're dizzy. Um, look, it's not physical labor. Well, it is physical labor. It is. But it was exhausting. And, and the book came out. And, and really, there's not a day that goes by where I don't hear from somebody that read the book or listened to the book. Yeah. Um, and, and was touched and moved by the book. And so it was done as a tribute to my wife's late husband and my wife. Uh, for those who don't know, basically, my wife lost her husband on 9-11. And I wrote a book about him and her. And... Um, there we go. It's a it's a phenomenal book. I thank couldn't you. recommend it enough, and I can't thank you enough for your time and how busy you are, especially this week. Probably the busiest week for you. One no, of them, huh? No, no. That, listen, we get to the off season. There, lot, I think the week after the season ends, when coaches are fired and hired, and the players are beginning. Yeah, we talked about that. The first couple of weeks of free agency, that's number one. The week after the season would be two, and the draft would be three. The, the, the combine week is, is you know what? It's it's kind of nice to get. To see people that it's I don't catch get to up. See. Yeah, I haven't nice seen you see forever. So I, I don't get out all year. Yeah, like ESPN, as I always say, doesn't let me out of the cage. So <laughs> it's nice to be out of the cage for a little bit. Thanks for spending some time. Thanks, Chris. All right, now joined by one of the greatest safeties of all time, Steve Atwater. Denver hey, hey. Broncos, DenverBroncos.com too. How are you, Steve? Hey, doing well, doing well. Hey, out here, busy week, it's trying busy to evaluate week, this talent and you know, get the information back to our people back in Denver. Imagine you're doing the same thing. Absolutely, but you know, it's it's also fun. We we don't get to see each other all the time. You know, right. tw- twice a year, right in Denver and LA. So it's always good to catch up. Yeah, absolutely. I was just talking to Adam Schefter uh, about his days covering the Broncos, and he said he covered. Coach Lynn as a player, obviously you as a player, you were teammates yes. with Anthony Lynn. What, what are your memories of being a teammate with Coach Lynn? Well, I just remember him always just uh, taking the game extremely seriously, uh, you know, giving 110% on the field, and just, you know, being, being a great teammate. Um, we, we, we won the Super Bowl, and, um, you know, I've followed his coaching career uh, since he got out of the league and just which started with the Broncos, yeah, yeah. started with the Broncos, yes, and uh, just really happy for him and proud of him uh, that uh, you know knew knew when he went down that route that he would be successful because he, he was very dedicated. Was there anything in his playing career that that made you say, "All right, th- this guy's got it" in terms of being a coach? Well, uh, I can say just how how important the game was to him and how hard that he played. Um, now, he was on the, offense, on the offensive side of the ball, so I wasn't sure what he was like in meetings and that. I wasn't, sure. wasn't in, uh, in, in those uh, types of meetings. You but probably had some battles in practice. <laughs> oh, yeah, we, had, we definitely had, had a few battles in practice. Uh, and, but, yeah, again, he's just he's a big, strong guy, hard to bring down. He yeah. was running back boy, like, oh, man, this. <laughs> 
<laughs> he was low to bring down. Um, but yeah, in terms of the the, the coaching part, though, um, you know, I, I I really didn't know how studious he was, um, but I knew he took the game seriously. Yeah. And apparently he was keeping great notes, and once he got out and, and became a coach, uh, he did all the right things and, uh, you know, made the right relationships, uh, was able to get the guys to go out and play hard for him. And that's it was, it's gotten more difficult, I think, as time has gone on to, to, to be able to motivate guys to sure. go out and give it everything they have every single play. And um, from, from, from watching the Chargers play, you guys are going out, you know, leaving on the line every single every single game, and uh, you know you hear players talking about them after the game, and just you know they say how much they connect with with uh, Coach Land, yeah. and how much they respect him, and you know I think that that uh, it says a lot. You could probably speak to this better than anybody, just in terms of having that championship pedigree, right? Being able to say that, hey, I can put rings on the table. I've won a Super Bowl. Uh, that gets your attention as a player, I have to imagine, right off the bat. It does. And um, I remember my rookie year when I came into the league, uh, my defensive backs coach, his name Charlie Waters, mm-hmm. he played for the Dallas Cowboys. He had won Super Bowls. And, uh, you know, there's nothing that he could have said that I wouldn't have done, you know. And he wouldn't have told me anything crazy anyway. But, you know, he'd tell me, hey, man, uh, make sure you – you backpedal this way, and this is how you need to come out of your break, and this is what you, where your eyes need to be. And I just, okay, okay, write, taking notes, writing it down, and I go out and try and do it. And, uh, you know, I just had the utmost respect for him. And, you know, sometimes I see players nowadays who don't have that confidence in their coaches, and, yeah. you know, they start questioning the coaches' uh, decisions, and it just makes it that much more difficult. It's difficult enough to play even if you, you, you're on the same page with your coach, you, you believe in your coach, you believe in what he's teaching you. But then when you throw in the fact that you're questioning your coach, in addition to having to perform against the other team, it's like you got, you're fighting two battles. Everybody's got to be on the same page. you got to be on the same page. And, and you have to we, – we talk about this all the time, just building a culture. And I think that's what Coach has been able to do. Um, a year ago, we were looking at safeties here, and Darwin James oh. – Fell to the charges, 17 oh, overall. I got a, that was a steal. I got one of the best safeties of all time here. Tell me about Darwin James from your perspective. What what you think of him as a player in his first year in the league? Yeah, well, I got a chance. Uh, you know, last year uh, I was looking at uh, watching film on him before sure. the draft, and you know he was number one safety for me coming out, and uh, you know just his, his his size, his speed, his ability to look at the right things before the play started, and know where his threats were yeah. and, and how to you know move his body to get in the right position and to get in between he and the receiver the quarterback and the receiver it, it's just uncanny he has a knack for it it's a natural knack for it and he's a he's a long guy who's extremely physical versatile fast. Yeah, he, 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 can, he can do it all um, and yeah I really liked him coming out and uh, when you guys drafted him last year, I'm like, oh boy, it's going to be a problem. <laughs> Here we go. This, yeah, yeah. He, he can he can play some ball. He's a great great football player and, and a great guy. So I got a chance to talk to him before, uh, actually during the draft last year. Well, actually, day or two before the draft, uh, we had an event with some of the uh, retired guys and some of the younger guys that were coming to, to the draft, and I got a chance to talk with them a little bit. And I saw him before our game when we came out to L.A. That's right. That's so, right. Yeah. You know, you know the thing about him, he's a young kid. He's got great respect for the game and great respect for the, the players that have come before him, especially at the safety position. And uh, I don't think you get that 
every day right. in, in 2018, 2019. So it's been refreshing to kind of see him come in humble and, and just work hard. It is. It, it is great. You love to see guys who have that mentality. You know, a lot of times people just, uh, you know, put a rubber stamp on and say, well, all players, you know, all these players now, you know, they – they, they want everything the easy way. Not all players are like that. It, yeah. they're, they're certainly – it's a lot more prevalent nowadays than it was in the past, in my opinion. But there are still some very hardworking guys who know that they got to put in the work to get the results. Sure. And Derwin James is one of those guys. Steve, you're on the radio every day in Denver. I love to get the opposing view just from – from Denver's perspective, you look at the Chargers and what they did this year. What was your overall impression of this team and, and getting to the playoffs and winning a game? Yeah, well, hey, um, I, I wasn't surprised. Uh, I know going, we know going into the season that the Chargers were going to be a team to compete with. Uh, you know, both you and, and and the Kansas City Chiefs were top two top teams in the in the AFC West. So uh, we knew we were going to have our hands full each and every time. We 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 hope that we would be able to play better. Uh, unfortunately, we weren't. We were able to pull out that game. Uh, oh, yeah. I tell you, you know, had the, the Chargers look back at that game, had they beaten the Broncos in L.A., they could have been 13-3, could have been number one overall seed. Yeah. You know, that yeah. was a, that was a, an interesting game. Uh, it was an unorthodox game. Oh, man, you know? it was. It, it was, was wild. Yes, I remember watching it right, I was sitting, sitting, uh, right in the tunnel there watching as, you know, Case completed that pass to um, – Cortland Sutton. That's and then, right. You know, set He's it a good-looking rookie. Yeah, he is. He's a good, good, good rookie player. Uh, you know, great work ethic and you know, just you know, hard worker and going good things going to be great for us uh, going forward. Yeah. F- finally, we'll get you out of here on this. Just the Broncos in 2019 reported trade of a new quarterback. You got Vic Fangio in the mix who spoke uh, this morning as we take this on a Wednesday. Um, what are your overall impressions of where this team is trending? A lot of good pieces on both sides of the football. Yeah, the, the trade is, like I said, reported. Hopefully, we have to say reported. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, we'll see what hopefully, hopefully that that will happen. Um, and I, I really, I see a coaching staff that you know has a clear idea of where they want to go, and you know got to get some more pieces in place. And you know, this is a part of it. Of course, come to the combine, building your team through the draft. Um, and you know, I'm anxious to see which route uh, we go in the draft in terms of if we'll try tenth, to tenth overall pick, right? Tenth overall so pick. You got a, a, an avenue of a, a variety of avenues, I guess, to go. Yeah, yeah. It'll be interesting to see if uh, you know we decide to you know try and get a young quarterback here at that pick. But we also have some other, quite a few other areas that I think we like to address. I think we like to address the. Uh, the cornerback position, mm. interior defensive line, linebacker. Yeah, you get some uh, like Roby's a free agent. Yes. Right? Bradley Roby's a free agent. Yeah, Bradley Roby's a free agent. Uh, from hearing Coach Fangio talk earlier today, I think they're going to allow him to test the free agent market, kind of see where his market is. Uh, and they, he hasn't definitely hasn't ruled out the possibility of Bradley Roby being a Bronco uh, this upcoming season, but you just got to want to get a feel for uh, what the market is like for him, though. Well, Steve, we, we're doing this interview. You just did three hours of radio. So I can't thank you enough for your time, spending a few minutes with us, your class act, and we look forward to seeing you down the line. Oh, same here. Appreciate right. you. All right, as we roll on here on Chargers Weekly, joined by the talented Mr. Roto, Matthew Berry. How are you, sir? I'm well, thank you. Go Chargers, go. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I was just telling you that the Fantasy Focus Pod 
came to training camp. Yeah. We missed you, though. Phil Stefani were there. I, I, I had some sort of meeting or sales thing I had to do. I, they I said you were kind was. of big time. They said you had a big deal. Something going on. So now. I had something going on. It may have just been time away from Field and Stefania. I have that contractually <laughs> written in. So that may have been it. But uh, but they told me they had a great time. And, you know, obviously it was a uh, successful season. You know, not as successful as the Chargers would have wanted. But I think, you know, all in, pretty yeah. happy with it. No, absolutely. You go 12-4, and four, you win a playoff game. Yep. From a fantasy perspective, you look at that offense. Uh, really nice. They were humming. They, were they humming. really were. The, the wide receivers, still. I wanted to ask you, because I, I remember talking to Field during training camp. We just seen Mike Williams make yeah. play after play after play. And I think at that point, people were still drafting. They're like maybe 10th round, 11th round. Yeah. He was probably one of the more pleasant surprises in fantasy this year. He was. You know, it's a little inconsistent um, from, our, from, our, from our point of view, only because, um, you know, the Chargers, and this is a credit to the, the team that Anthony Lynn and, and everyone's put together, but they, um, they had so many weapons. So yeah. you know, so 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 you had Gordon, you had Eckler out of obviously out of the backfield. You know, Keenan's going to get his right, but then you know you'd see it'd be Tyrell Williams, it'd be Mike Williams, and you know there were a couple of games like, you know, there was I well, I think it was a three touchdown game, and one of them he, he ran for a touchdown. Like, wait, where did that come that from? Was the Chiefs like, game, yeah, the Chiefs game, yeah, yeah, the two conversion, right? Yeah, it was like, the the Mike Williams game, and like, but he'd been inconsistent, so you know that just felt like the volume wasn't there for him. Um, but certainly the red zone targets were, which is interesting. And so what's going to be really interesting, I think, for people that are looking at the Chargers from a fantasy perspective, is how does that change with Hunter Henry's return? I was just going to ask you. So because. Henry was so good in the red zone two years ago, and the expectation, like he was a high draft pick, you know, for people that drafted early before his injury, people were, you know, he would have, I think, before his injury, I think I had him as tight end four mm-hmm. coming into the year. And so, um, because we know Philip loves looking for tight ends uh, in the red zone, in the end zone, obviously, you know, Gates owns the, the NFL record. And so, when Hunter suffered his injury, I think looking around, right, who's a big target in the red zone? Who's somebody that could replace that? And so, right, Big Mike Williams uh, obviously comes out and, you know, the the college resume speaks for himself. I think Williams, you know, because the Chargers are a West Coast team and and so much of our media is East Coast based and people, I don't know, the the Chargers never get enough respect fantasy-wise, I think, that they should. Really? I really don't believe that. Melvin Gordon does. Melvin Gordon always goes in the first round. But beyond that, like, I did, I do a column every year called 100 Facts. And I just sort of, and I, it's basically a, a sleeper bust column disguised. And I sort of use facts to kind of build a case for somebody. Sure. And if you go back and look at my one from last year, I used five or six facts on Philip Rivers. And I just pointed to the fact that, like, that Philip Rivers had been so consistent that he was like 25, yard, 25 touchdowns and 4,000 yards in the bank. Um, never misses a game. He's always healthy. And also the other thing about him is that, I think four out of the last five seasons, not counting this past season, so this is going into last year, and it's happened again this year, so I guess it would be five of the past six. Philip Rivers has finished at least five spots ahead, has averaged five spots ahead of where he was drafted, meaning like if he finished his QB, he'd be drafted as QB 15 and finished his QB 10. He'd be drafted as QB 13, finished his QB 8. He always outperforms his ADP, which is average draft position. Just Rivers never gets the respect that I think he deserves from fantasy uh, players. Yeah, and you know, he hasn't missed a start, as you mentioned, since 06. Why do you think that is? Is it just there's so many quarterbacks now that you can wait on a quarterback and then Phillip just kind of gets pushed back a little bit yeah, more? Yeah, I, I, 
I think it's because, although I think maybe this year, I think it's, first off, quarterback is devalued. Yeah. He's, um, he's not a big-name quarterback in this sense, the way a Brady or a Rodgers or Roethlisberger is where, you know, and I think some of this is on ESPN, like we don't show enough highlights, you know, and that kind of stuff. I remember after one Sunday night game, after one Sunday night game that the uh, the Chargers came back and win, Rivers was talking with Michelle Tafoya, and he was all fired up because he was, game, yeah. right, and he was all fired up because he's like, this is like the first one I've done of these in like four years or whatever it was, or three seasons, well, and I so it's it. like because of the Chargers have struggled and because it's, you know, it's a, you know, they were in San Diego and L.A., a West Coast team, for whatever reason, Phillip just doesn't have the, he's obviously a big star, he's a future Hall of Fame, all that. But I'm just saying, like, I just don't feel like he gets the the media respect he should. He's not mentioned in the same breath as those guys when he should be, when the numbers suggest he should be. So based on the year that he had last year, and you take into consideration, he throws the ball to Melvin Gordon a lot. Yep. He throws the ball to Austin Eckler a lot. Yes, Hunter Henry's coming back. Keenan Allen. Yep. PPR machine. Yes. Mike Williams. Where do you look at Phillip Rivers this year in comparison to years past? Listen, I'll, I'm I'm always a Philip Rivers apologist. I have him on my my dynasty league team. Uh, I've had him for years, so I I love him as a quarterback. What's nice about Rivers is there's a floor there. I think one of the problems is that he hasn't had he hasn't had a crazy Mahomes like season, you know, or mm-hmm. a 50 touchdown season. He's it's always just so solid, right? Yeah, yeah. And for leagues that count interceptions, you know, that's that's been uh, that's been an issue. It somewhat. I think I have him somewhere like eight or ten in my quarterback ranking. So pretty good. As a, as a QB one, you know he doesn't run, um, and by run I mean like he's not he's not mobile the way like Aaron Rodgers will get you three or four rushing touchdowns over the course of a year. You know, um, uh, you know so you know obviously Mahomes has has speed there. You know you think about Lamar Jackson obviously, and so you know uh, Cousins is somebody that that's a part of his game usually, and so. Um, uh, Wentz, Deshaun Watson. When you think about some of the other kind of high-end fantasy quarterbacks, so he's he's a uh, little bit stiffer uh, from that from just a pure statistic statistic standpoint. And then also, you know, one of the reasons Melvin's so go- good is because he converts touchdowns. Yeah. So like the pro- the problem for Philip Rivers' fantasy stock has been a great thing for. Philip Rivers, the NFL quarterback, which is that the Chargers' defense is usually pretty good. Yes. So he doesn't get into shootouts. They're up. They're running the ball in the second half. They go. They tend to, you know, run the ball with Gordon when they get in close. And so, you know, it's un- it's hard to project Philip Rivers for over forty touchdowns. You know what I mean? Sure, like, sure. Yeah. So, um, so I think that's why there's a little bit of a, a ceiling there with him. But the floor is very high, and I think Rivers is, you know, awesome. You know, you think about Gordon too. And coming out of Wisconsin, he didn't catch the ball a ton no. in, in college. And each and every year, we're starting to see him catch the ball even more and more. You couple that with Eckler, and I think one of the fantasy questions, first of all, it's February. It's never too early to talk fantasy. No. But one of the questions I always got with, with Eckler and Gordon is, like, do you start both? Can you start both? And at the beginning of the year, they were on. They Last really year were, you could. They Last were on year an Ingram Camara clip, like yes. the first four or five weeks yeah, of the yeah, season. Yeah. yeah, they were. And, I mean, Eckler's a talented player, and it was—it's a credit to him because it's like when you've got somebody like Melvin Gordon, you just—you know—only you need to do is give him a breather a little bit. But I think you know, Coach Lynn said this over the course of the season, like we've got to find ways to get Eckler on the field, mm-hmm. you know. And when Gordon went down with his injury, and you know Eckler was dealing with that stinger, Justin, um, Jackson. Justin Jackson stepped up, and it was real nice. Yeah, it was a credit to the coaching staff and and the game plan, but. You could see you missed, you know, the Chargers offense missed Eckler. He brings he brings something to that offense that I don't think they have elsewhere. Yeah. And so he's a special little player. 
when you come here, what are you trying to you trying to get information about next yeah. year with teams? Are you looking at some yeah, of these I'm, prospects? I'm not really doing? looking at the prospects because, again, it, until you know a player's, like, you know, you can say this player is a great, but, <clears throat> you know what I mean? Like, um, I'm trying to think of a uh, of a good example. Well, the example I always use is Derrick Henry. Like, I loved Derrick Henry coming out of college. Alabama, I'm like, I can't wait to draft this guy. Yeah. Then he gets drafted by Tennessee, and he's behind DeMarco Murray, and you're like, well, there goes that. Like, he's not getting on the field, of, which he really didn't, you know, in his first year. So until you – and there have been lesser players that have suddenly sprung to fantasy relevance because they've gotten into the right situation or a scheme that's, uh, you know, a good fit for them. How about Philip Lindsay, a guy who – didn't even get drafted. Didn't even get drafted, exactly. And, you know, uh, had, a, had a monster year. But there was opportunity there, and you know, and it was a good fit, and they, they schemed for him perfectly. So I don't really pay attention to the prospects uh, in a big sense until I know where they land for what I do. Mm-hmm. For here, it's much, it's more about networking and, and learning. You know, I go to all the coaches' press conferences, and you get to ask specific questions and talk to various players, uh, coaches, and and, uh, and then, you know, at night you meet people and, and just yeah, gleaning information, gleaning nuggets, developing sources, yeah. you know, kissing, ha- uh, kissing babies, shaking hands. That's what doing it all is. That. Right. That's what it is. We're here yeah. day one. Um, final thing for you, free agency. Mm-hmm. Um, the guys like Le'Veon Bell, some of these other guys. How does free agency dictate how you rank? Of, like, like a Le'Veon Bell, for instance, based on where he goes, is he really going to change? It? Sure. Oh, sure. I mean, like, again, it, it's all about... You know, it's about scheme and opportunity, right? Now, in theory, Le'Veon Bell's probably going to go to a team. Uh, like, you're not going to sign Le'Veon Bell to the kind of money that you're going to need. And not give him 25 not, touches. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I have him ranked as a, you know, top 15 player. But he's a – I rank him differently if he's on the Jets versus the Colts. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think he's going to the Colts. But my point is, is, like, if the Colts sign him behind that offensive line with Andrew Luck as his quarterback – that's a different scenario than if he goes to New York and he's behind a so-so offensive line with still a young quarterback. And, you know, yeah. so it's um, – so, again, it just sort of depends on every – but I, every player is different. Every situation is different. Every team is different. Opportunity is different. I will say, however, is that free agency is like this big puzzle because every signing creates a ripple effect on that team and the team that the player left. And so, like, we know Le'Veon Bell's not going to be with the Steelers. But, you know – Assuming the Steelers trade Antonio Brown, that's going to affect. It affects you know, Juju. It affects it, every James Washington. So you know what I mean like it, it, it? Yeah, it affects a lot of people. And we're, we're even talking about like offensive tackles and guards. Uh, oh sure. Bolster an offensive line, or you lose you lose a guy, and that running back doesn't yeah. have the year that you expect him to have. Correct. Yeah, hundred percent correct. Matthew Barry, can't thank you enough for your time. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Go Chargers. Fresh off a of Hawaiian vacation. <laughs> Joined by Jim Trotter of NFL Network. Jim, how are you, sir? Uh, still wishing I was on vacation. Yeah, the weather's not Hawaiian comparable vacation. here in Indy, huh? No, no. It. Um, I always feel bad. You never want to complain about being in Hawaii. You know, the weather wasn't. <laughs> we go every year, and this was the first year where we got a little bit of precipitation. You know, outside of the ordinary. Yeah. But again, Still you're in okay. Hawaii, so you can't complain. Yeah. No, no one's going to feel bad for you. No. Well, <laughs> what's this week like for you? Because this is it's an interesting time on the NFL calendar, right? You got the, the Super Bowl just ended. We got free agency in a couple of weeks. You got the future of the league here. Yeah. You got coaches, agents, executives. For you personally, how do you approach the week? Um, what's interesting is I hadn't been here in <clears throat> roughly seven years, I think. Really? <clears throat> I had stopped coming just from the standpoint of. 
for the things I do now, more storytelling and that sort of thing, um, the combine back in the day used to be a little more intimate. And so you could get some time one-on-one -on -one with guys. Now there are so many people. I think someone told me today there are 1,400 media members. I just had Adam Schefter on. He said 25 years ago he was one of seven reporters yeah, exactly. at the Combine. Exactly. 1,400 now. Yeah. So it's like, you know, I'm, I'm not a hang-out-at-the-bar type guy, late-at-night guy. So really this isn't conducive for me personally. I prefer to go to... If I'm, say, I want to visit with someone from the Chargers, go to their place and visit with them. Or, say, it's Tennessee, go and visit with them there. Yeah. I think it's a little more personal, um, and you develop stronger a stronger rapport with whoever it is you're, you're talking to as opposed to having 20 other writers around or whatever. So, for me, there were just a couple of stories I'm working on where I just felt it was good bang for the buck to come and get some of these things here now, knock these interviews out of the way. And then I could get back to trying to do the more, um, quote-unquote, intimate or personal long-form pieces. Well, speaking of that, in your storytelling, you did a piece on Keenan Allen this yeah, year. Yeah. That was phenomenal. And he had okay. another Pro Bowl season. Yeah. So your thoughts on Keenan, what, what you, you got from that conversation with him? Um, what I got from it, you know, I'd seen Keenan from afar but never really spent time with him. So... I was just curious knowing his talents. I just wanted to know what the guy was like and what his drive was like. So when I went down to North Carolina, that's kind of what I learned. You're able to go back and see the roots, you know, sure. um, you know where, where that certain attitude and makeup and drive comes from. And, and, I, and I value that. So I appreciate him allowing me to do that. And what I saw was a guy who very early on learned from his stepdad and his older brothers that there is a certain way you have to play this game if you want to be successful. And as his dad, stepdad likes to say to him, it's a grown man's game. So even right. at seven years old, you know, you may get knocked around, but you always get up and you keep going. And um, so I was it, was, it, it allowed me to better understand that sort of alpha dog mentality he has when he's on the field uh, and just to strive to be the best. So... Um, again, I love going back and being with these guys in those settings and, yeah. and getting to learn a bit, you know, a bit about them as people too, as well as just players. People forget that Keenan's so young still. Yeah. And here's he the here's the funny thing: when he um, came out, now the way the story is told to me, his mom literally had to sign his first contract because he wasn't old enough. Was he like twenty? He wasn't. Yeah, he wasn't twenty-one yet. And That's his, wild. Yeah, and it's been with his seventh season now. Yeah, and his mom had uh, something along those lines. She had to sign something for him to be able to play in the NFL. So that's pretty wild. But his his perseverance too through he, oh, some some really tough injuries no too, question. Jim. I mean, to to rebound, I just. I can't get that first half of that Chiefs game out of my head week one where he was just eating up the Chiefs. I think Marcus, Marcus Peters, Peters in particular. Had a meltdown because of it. Yeah. Yeah. But he does that to you. He's the best route runner in the league. Yeah. And he'll, he'll you know, he likes to talk to you. So that's part of it. And you have a competitive guy like Marcus Peters. And so when you're getting your lunch handed to you and the guy's talking to you, um, you it's very easy to lose your composure, yeah. which Marcus did. And that's what was so disappointing to see him go down, um, you know, in that game the way he did for it's the like season. like being in the third quarter or something like no, that? No, it was first half. First half, end of yeah. the first half, yeah. Yeah, it was still end of the first half. So, I mean, he was on pace to have a monster game, and, and which likely would have led to a monster year. But, you know, to see him come back, and, and then I thought it was pretty telling for him then as he sets his goals going forward, 
it was never then about catches or yards or touchdowns. It was always about 16, just play 16 games. Yeah. You know, and he always believed that if he played 16, everything would take care of itself, and, and it has. And he was a big part of the Chargers' success this year. I mean, you go 12-4, and four, you win a playoff game in Anthony Lynn's second year. He, he's really building something in L.A. Just your overall thoughts on, on what the Chargers did in 18. Uh, I thought it was a big step for them um, to finally try and, and connect with that community. Look, L.A. loves a winner. So, as I've always said, whether it's the Chargers or the Rams, it's going to take time to develop um, – to establish roots in that community. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways you accelerate that growth is by winning. Yep. So it was critical for them to do that. Um, it was it, it was disappointing to me personally because knowing some of these guys as long as I have, whether it's Philip or Antonio, you'd like to see them have success and get a shot and play for a ring. So to see them lose, that was disappointing. Um, but I think that was a shock to everybody. The way that the that, way that the way lost. the season ended. Yeah. Yeah. No. No question about it. I thought. Look, if we're being honest here, I thought the the Patriots did a much better job in terms of game planning um, for the Chargers than vice versa. And I mean, we could we could dissect that whole game, which yeah. I don't think it. You could it, really, but the, you know, the thing about the Patriots that that whole playoff run. I mean, they shut out the Chiefs at halftime in Arrowhead. They held the Rams to three points. They were locked in, and they're they're almost kind of the anomaly of the league. You know, it's it's just it's kind of a, a different it's a different deal. No, what what Bill does is he uses the early part of the season to figure it out. Mm -hmm. What does he have? What are the strengths and weaknesses? What can they do? Like Gronkowski after the Super Bowl was saying, they got back to, they had to establish an identity. Every year is different. Every team is different. And what they realized halfway through that year was our identity is not throwing the ball. Our identity is grinding on people. Mm -hmm. So that means, you know, a lot of Sony Michelle, James White to set up our play action game. Um, and that's who they were at the end of the year. And so when they got into games against the Chiefs, or they got in the games against the Rams, they were able to play more ball control in terms of they understood the importance of time of possession. Um, and the good thing for them is, fortunately, that, that against the Chiefs, they did shut them out in the first half because I'm not sure they or anyone else could have stopped Patrick Mahomes no. if that game had gone on any longer. But, um, no, they're phenomenal. That's why they've won six championships, you know, under the Brady-Belichick era. But I still, you know, would love to see would have loved to have seen Philip and 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 Antonio get that because one thing Philip had told me going into the playoffs was he felt that um, after the Pittsburgh game that they were starting to turn the corner a little bit in terms of connecting with the fans in LA mm -hmm. because that was so big to come back from I think what was it 18 down in the second half something like that it was 16 down I, I can't yeah. remember 16 we were, you were there we yeah were there, I was yeah. there but to come back from that. Um, and then to follow it up two weeks later. Correct. With what they did in Kansas City. Correct. Down 14 in the correct. fourth quarter. So to do those two things, um, I remember him telling me the story that, you know, you have those times in San Diego where you'd come back from a big game and there'd be tons of fans waiting on you. And then early on they'd come back from a big win their first year in L.A. or whatever and there'd be two or three people. And he said after one of those games, I can't remember if it was Kansas City or if it was, was – um, Pittsburgh, but he said all of a sudden we had fans waiting for oh, us. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he's like, that was nice. You know, you started to feel like you're making that connection. No doubt. And so if they could have won 
that next game against New England, that playoff game, and got into a Super Bowl, it would have been really fun to see what that would have been like. The, the good thing, I think, for Phillip, just this overall roster, there's a lot of young guys. Sure. Uh, we've talked about the way that Telesco and company have drafted. A lot of guys still on the roster from the last few years. Sure. Undrafted guys like Badgley and Eckler contributing. Um, Phillip's going to have another crack or two at this um, over the next couple of years. Yeah, he, he may, but I, I guess I've been around this game long enough to never sort of assume or to take for granted. And I know 100%. you're not. I, yeah. know, I know you're not. It, nothing carries over. 12 4 does not carry over to 20. I mean, Cor- correct. It, so, it, you'd be foolish to think that. Correct. So I hope you're right because um, I know as writers, we're not supposed to root for teams or people or all that, but, you know, I've been around this game long enough and, and um, that I root for good people. So, you know, Phillip's obviously uh, what I call good people. So I'd like to see him have an opportunity. Does anything surprise you in this league anymore with player movement and, and everything that we've seen <laughs> for the last couple of years? Um, <laughs> yes and no. I, I'm, I can be surprised but not stunned, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there, there's always, it, there's that initial five second of, wow, I can't believe this. Then it's like, whoa, what do you mean you can't believe it? Yeah. You know, um, think back to last year when this happened or that happened. So uh, the th- one of the things that, that I guess surprises me is how teams will continue to make the same mistakes in terms of clubs that believe free agency is a panacea and they open their wallets and pay incredible amounts of money thinking that one player is or two players are going to get them over the hump and I think the stat I saw is that last year of the top five guys who received the largest contracts those teams did not make the playoffs those five teams and yet we're going to see it again this year you watch to get some of these quarterback salaries you know we're going to break the bank for someone the quarterback position, I understand a little more just the desperation. I still don't, can't say that I would do it, but you have to try and sell hope to your fan base, yeah. so you need to do something. If you can get a guy that can at least maybe get you in a position to get to the playoffs, but it doesn't always work out. That's what the Broncos thought they had with Case Keenum. Yep. And now look where they are. Yeah. So in all likelihood, they're going to look to move Case or potentially even cut him. Um, it's a strange league, you know, um, but that's what makes it so appetizing to a fan base that you you never know you know and different things are happening and um, you wait to see what's going to happen next and when you have uh, someone was telling me yesterday that there had been talk or a discussion about should they move some elements of the combine to prime time and I'm like on the one hand I'm like come on and then on the other hand I'm like the appetite is There's so insatiable yeah. for this that I could see that happening. We're taping this right behind a fan bench press <laughs> over here. You, you know? know what I mean? This is the, the bench press. The real bench press is right to, to our right here. Yep. So this thing has... You getting ready to go throw up 225? Yeah, I, I don't know. 15, I may, 20 I may, times? You're gonna I just came off vacation myself, <laughs> so it may be a little bit tough for me. But, Jim, you're the best, man. Always gracious with your time. What do you got going on this offseason? Uh, just working on a couple pieces here and then same old thing try and pick out some interesting stories that hopefully will resonate with um, fans and uh, just try and do some good storytelling that's all can't wait you do a phenomenal job I appreciate you man all right as we roll on here on Chargers Weekly episode number 100 have to bring on a recurring guest Greg Rosenthal NFL.com Greg what's up buddy 
I'm like Norm Macdonald on Dave Letterman. That's actually got to really date me because no one knows these these references. People know Norm, but I would I would love. Well, but Letterman hasn't even been on the air for a while. I would love to be the Norm Macdonald though, because he's like if you see if you see him on a show, you're you're happy. We had you on right before. That was actually during training camp, and you made the prediction of Chargers Pats AFC Championship game. You came kind of close. Very close. I thought you were just gonna full out give me credit for that. Uh, I mean, well, I, the, I should give you credit. You, it, I mean, you had. I, who knows if the seedings had ended up a little different? Maybe that that would have been the AFC Championship game. I would have never guessed, you know, the morning of that game how that game would have gone. You but, and me both, or anyone. You know, no one thought that. But it doesn't surprise me that those were two of the final eight. I just thought they were two of the best you know six seven teams going into the season i think it kind of played out that way yeah i talked to isaac rochelle on monday for our backstage Chargers podcast he says he, he's staying salty I, I think the entire locker room is pretty salty after that game because after the patriots scored the first touchdown Chargers came right back it was like a 46 yard touchdown keen i just thought there'd be a lot of points and then it was kind of a bus off well you saw the next week again in kansas city and then you saw in the super bowl the defensive game plans and improvement and the continuity from that Patriots defense was no fluke. It wasn't just like one game plan where they outcoached the Chargers, and they did, but they did it against the Chiefs. And I know yeah. the Chiefs eventually scored in that game, but to hold they them had a goose to seven, at yeah, to hold them to seven going into the fourth quarter is outrageous. And then in the the best, you know, one of the best Super Bowl defensive performances of all time. So they they came up with something, and it's a good reminder to Chargers fans to everyone that's like. The season kind of starts anew with the playoffs, and if you can figure out or become a different or better team then, it's like that's almost all that matters. <laughs> you know what gets lost in it too, Greg, is they were, I think they were 9-0 and getting on a plane, going into that game against the Patriots. The travel and what they did on the road, the impressive wins in December, Kansas City, Pittsburgh, obviously – you know, the, the the Patriots game, it is what it is. But these guys won some big games in prime time in December. And I know 12 and 4 Huge didn't carry games. over. Huge games. I mean, some, some of like, we're looking at NFL top 10 games on the network. You know, I'm watching it last week, the Kansas City uh, Chargers game. Well, to, to win in Pittsburgh and to win in Kansas City and then to win in Baltimore in the playoffs, I think if you were just like making a power ranking, of like who had the most impressive seasons, who had like the best wins. You know, the Chargers to me are probably the fifth or sixth best team in terms of having the best season in yep. the NFL. You have to put the Rams and the Saints. I think the final four, you you put them as the top four and then it's and then it's probably the Chargers after that in terms of what they put together in terms of impressive wins. Yeah, they closed both of Anthony Lynn's first two seasons, they've closed the season very strong. I think 13-4 and four in November and December. So I think that's a little bit of everything. It's a little bit of Phillip Rivers, a little bit of Coach Lynn and, and this culture that they're building. And, and really what, what Tom Telesco has done with the roster, the, a lot of young pieces. It's impressive, but they also have to be really concerned about how the offense finished. So that, that was the thing that stuck out to me was it was one of the best offenses in the league for 15 weeks, 14 weeks. It, it wasn't great the last three or four weeks. Now, they had much tougher matchups, but the line especially. And I and I did hammer that going into the Baltimore game. I picked them to beat Baltimore, mm-hmm. but in that game and the Patriots, I was just saying, hey, that offensive line that we've said so improvement, so improved, 
they're not really protecting Phillip that well, and especially on the right side, it was just trouble, and that played out in that game. Yeah, in I, I wasn't their only problem, but that it was no. it was an issue that they that I'm sure the Chargers are thinking about going into the offseason. Yeah, yeah, I think you have to address the offensive line in some form or fashion. And one of the ways you do that, I think, Forrest Lamb, this is going to be his first healthy offseason because he got hurt in training camp his rookie season. Um, he didn't play much at all in in 2018. So if they can get something from Forrest, couple of that with, you know. We were just talking offline about the draft, how, you know, we don't know much yet, but it seems to be a good offensive line draft in terms of depth. So maybe you get a right tackle. Maybe you get uh, some positional versatility there, someone who can kick into guard. I've talked about this with other people kind of around the league. It's a weird issue when almost every team has offensive line problems. Like, there's so many teams. I wrote this article. It's like one thing they can do to, you know, get to the Super Bowl next year. You could make 20 of them the offensive line issues, and there's no one in free agency. That's what I'm focused on right now. There's a couple guys here or there, but it's so hard to find value in free agency. You're much more likely to find value in getting the right offensive line coach and system uh, than you are being able to – like Roger Saffold, who also is in Los Angeles with the Rams, 31 years old, had a solid career. He might become the highest-paid guard in the NFL – because he's a free agent and he's just the best guy available. He's 31 years old and he's not a pro bowler yeah. and he's got to be the highest paid guard in the league. That's wild. Uh, let's get into your list. Top 101. I was looking at it a couple days ago. Uh, I have to like, I have to sift through it and look at it with context because a lot of these guys are going to be franchised at the top. Right. Um, it'll change. It, it'll before change. Before March 9th, so, I think is the day. Yeah. The guys that you're confident will not be franchised. Who's at the top of that list? So, like, Who, who kind of leads the pack here? Le'Veon Bell, Trey Flowers. I still think there's a chance Trey Flowers gets tagged, but most people don't. So Le'Veon Bell, Trey Flowers, Earl Thomas. Uh, I think there's a chance Landon Collins is out there. Yeah. Uh, Sheldon Richardson. Yeah, guys like that. Defensive line is something that the Chargers. Nick Foles. That's yeah, another Nick one. Nick Foles. Where do you think <laughs> Nick Foles goes? Jacksonville is the one that makes the most sense. People are trying to push back on that. I think the Giants are the the wild card that I'm really looking at. When the Eagles are trying to trade Nick Foles, I think it's because they don't want him to go to the Giants or the Redskins, which I think both would would like Nick Foles. Yeah. Defensive line for the Chargers, they'll be probably looking at that position both in free agency and the draft, uh, a lot of unrestricted free agents across the line. Linebacker is another position where they could probably address it in both free agency and the draft. C.J. Mosley, is that a guy that you think is going to be free? No, because I think the Ravens will – he seems to be their priority to get a long-term deal done. I don't think they want to use the tag for him, but I, th- I think they'll figure out a way to keep him. But there are some pretty top-shelf linebackers available. K.J. Wright from the Seahawks, yeah. who's really good He's been and good would absolutely fit. Uh, you know, has, has been under Gus Bradley before. I'm just putting that together for the fir- first time. Yeah. Uh, he's really good. And Jordan Hicks of the of the Eagles, I think, is a three-down linebacker who would fit very much uh, with the Chargers. So there's linebackers, and you said they're looking for a defensive lineman. That's the deepest position in free agency is is ends and, and tackles, I think, on the defensive line. And it's wild because it's the same in the draft, apparently. You know, Right. It, and the Chargers it, need a lot of defensive tackles. They're all free agents right now. Yeah, they're, and they're good at edge rusher, right? You got you got Bosa, you got Ingram, you got Nuosu, who came on. Um, you got uh, Isaac Rochelle, who was a seventh-round pick. Telesco uh, and company, you look at the last two drafts, Greg, they've had – 
I think all 14 picks remain on the roster. 13 have played in a game. 11 have started a game. Wow. And that doesn't include guys like Eckler and Badgley, who they picked up um, and really kind of solved the kicking position. So This is a young team. You're yeah, right. it's a young team. There's a lot of pieces and a lot of depth uh, behind some of these older guys, too. Yeah, and that makes defensive tackle even more important because they're going to want to get some guys in the draft. They'll probably want to bring back, I would think, one of their guys because right now what they have – Three free agents there. Yeah, you got Darius Phylon is probably the guy out of that group that I would think they'd want to bring back the most. And also, I think, could Sneaky get a, a nice contract in, in free agency because I think he's he's shown some some good things. But if you're looking, you know, it's not that hard to find, like, a run-stopping guy in the middle, a guy like Marcus Hunt. or There, there are defensive tackles out there. AFC West... Obviously, a new coach and quarterback in Denver. You're going to have a new defensive coordinator in Kansas City. The Raiders have three first-round draft picks. There's undoubtedly going to be more changes probably over the next month or two. You know, As we sit here at the end of February, entering March, what's your early forecast huh. of, of this division? Well, you know, you know, my forecast of this division has not been great. I guess I had the Chargers winning it last year. It wasn't too far off, and I had the Chiefs, Listen, so they're twelve and four. Yeah, but I'm thinking of two years ago when I thought this was the best division in football, and didn't really, you know, work out that way. Well, the Raiders kind of disappointed that right, and, and the Broncos and that the Broncos, year. Yeah. But you, I, you feel like the Chargers and the Chiefs are pretty far ahead of the other two teams. That's what it. It's what it, it feels it's, like. It's what it feels like, and you're just kind of looking at the standings. But it is new coaches. Uh, in Denver, and a lot of roster problems, and Flacco a quarterback. It's it's just not a great team, and the Raiders are as rebuilding a team as there is in the NFL. So it does feel like you've got two great quarterbacks in Kansas City and Los Angeles, and two teams that are pretty deep with young players. You just have two teams that, to me, feel about as safe as a, 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 as a 10-win team as just about anyone in the AFC, other, you know, along with the Patriots. And that's especially because I think they're just significantly better than the Broncos or Raiders, but yeah. it never works out that way. So I've learned that. No, nothing carries <laughs> over. But you know, Like the Chiefs, to me, would be if you just had to pick one team, who's the favorite in the AFC if you just had to pick one team? It's like, well, I'm going to give it to the 25-year-old MVP. I mean, you can't argue you with know? that. <laughs> you no, know? you can't argue with, with that. With a great coach. And I, I'm a big Andy Reid believer, and – you know, I just think he creates offense every year, and so I just I just feel like that team's going to find a way to double-digit wins, and that's where you start. You know, speaking of coaching and continuity, I think that's just like the underlying theme with the Chargers. It was the same last year, but you continue to keep the coaching staff together, right, with, with Wisenhunt and Bradley and a lot of the positional coaches under those guys. I think there's something to be said about that. You know, you go into a, a, a new season, and there's not a lot to – learn that's new in terms of right. the, your surroundings that's true and the chiefs are changing their defense which i think was a, a move what they needed to make but i totally agree when you look at what's made the the patriots special and, and the steelers too as the best teams in the afc that continuity is huge because the patriots they haven't just been running the same system for a few years they've been doing it for like 18 years yeah. and then <laughs> <laughs> and it's like you can change what you want to do on a week-to-week basis so much easier because there's this like common language that the players and the coaches that everyone speaks. And you're right, the Chargers, it's crazy to think, now have about as good continuity as 
like any any, any teams other than you know the Steelers, the Patriots, the Seahawks. There's a few teams out there. There's not there's not many. <laughs> and it's you know it's the coaches, but it's also I, I mentioned just the success that they've had in the draft. It's a lot of the same guys that have been drafted. You know, so you're you're really building this team through the draft. They were selective in free agency last year, getting Pouncey a Pro Bowler. So I, I think they've really kind of picked and choose their spots in free agency to, to really bolster the roster. Yeah, they need, you know, you mentioned Lamp and, you know, those two offensive line picks, you know, I don't think it's panned out the first two years like they would hope uh, back-to-back. Uh, but otherwise, they've done really well in the draft. And continuity-wise, that's how you win is by, if you can stack up good drafts one, one after another, you're not going to count on, trying to figure out how to get veterans from another team that's going to help yeah. your team because it's really tricky. Um, There's can, a lot that goes into it. You, you can, can just plug a guy in you in can a different do system. It. Yeah. You can do it, but it's easier once you have that base of guys that are draft picks. No doubt. So what's this week like for you? What do you have going on? This is like the NFL spring break here. I know you have a lot of podcast obligations. And Except a lot like of NFL. 70 degrees stuff. colder. <laughs> exactly. It's like I've spent enough. There's no beach. This is my 15th. There's no wristband, right? This is my right? 15th uh, <laughs> combine. It's like I've spent a lot of time in Indianapolis in my life. Uh, you know, we tape podcasts. We do a Twitter show on Thursday. And then we go to cover the pro side. So yeah. All this the, is great about the comp. Yeah, all the GMs and coaches are here. We talk to them all. We listen to them all. You get a feel. Like I just talked to Brian Flores and, and Chris I, you know, Chris Greer talked to the GM of the Dolphins. So you get a feel of like guys in new roles, how they're going to handle it, how they're going to answer questions. You get just little nuggets, little peeks ahead of like what's going to come next week, who's going to get franchise tagged, you know, who's going to get traded because – that's the thing like the draft to me is so far away and marty if this is spring break let's like free agency is mardi gras and that really starts right when we leave here yeah Uh, i forgot to ask you your your seventh ranked linebacker in the 2019 nfl draft adolphus howard (laughs) from washington state i made up that name i love it greg thanks so much bud thanks and that's gonna do it for episode number 100 my thanks to greg rosenthal jim trotter Matthew Berry, Steve Atwater, and Adam Schefter for joining me. And, of course, thanks to you all for listening. Remember, download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Chargers Weekly, every Thursday. Episode 100, we hope to make it 100 more. Until next time, I'm Chris Harey.